Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. My name is Promise Bradley, and it is my honor this morning to bring the word to you. The title of the message this morning is Behold the Beauty of Jesus. Behold the Beauty of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, let's turn in them to Psalm 27. Yeah! Psalm 27 is awesome. It's been my bread for a while. It says this. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Anybody been dealing with any fear today? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Come on. Who can testify this morning that the Lord has been the strength of your life? Amen. When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Come on, though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, who has ever felt like war was rising against you? In this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to do what? to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, anybody have any trouble? He shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Who can testify that the Lord has hidden them in a season of trouble before? That's what he does, but it doesn't happen by accident. It happens because I'm in the secret place beholding the beauty of Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Let's pray again. Father, would you just give us the grace to desire you as David did? To seek only to dwell with you and behold your beauty. To make seeing you, knowing you, feeling you, communing with you our one thing. To see you for who you are and not who we want you to be or who the culture tells us, but who your word says you are, your word of hope. Give us a hunger to know you, to inquire after you, to devour your word, to make you our bread. Help us to realize that you alone are the beautiful one and all the beauty that the world has to offer pales in comparison to your beauty. Turn our faces toward you and turn our gaze away from lesser things. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear you. Reveal to us every idol that we've ranked in our hearts as more beautiful than you. And give us the grace today to tear them down in your presence. Set our eyes and our affection on you in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning I want to turn back the clock for us to the year 1989. Yeah, remember the 80s? Little eight-year-old Promise um, was really psyched because this was the year that The Simpsons premiered on Fox, and I was all about it. (laughs) I had recently received a television set for my very own for my room, and we had recently gotten cable. So I went from viewing Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers in the living room with my parents to watching MTV and Fox and HBO and late night Cinemax in my room all by myself. And some of y'all know what that implies, right? Little eight-year-old Promise was getting an education that she probably shouldn't have been getting, but I loved The Simpsons. And after The Simpsons, I always watched Married with Children. Why was an eight-year-old watching Married with Children? Because it came on after The Simpsons, okay? And uh, if you don't know about Married with Children, let me just break it down for you. It's about Al Bundy. He is an unhappily married shoe salesman who hates everything. 
He hates his wife. He hates his kids. He hates his life. He hates his job. He hates his neighbors. He hates everything. He hates himself. And the only thing that he cares about in this world are creature comforts like beer and television and inappropriate magazines, okay? And I always wanted to impress my dad. I always wanted him to think that I was mature and grown up, you know? And he didn't live with us. My parents were divorced. And so one day I saw him. I said, Dad, do you watch Married with Children? And he was like, no. And I was like, what? Why? And he's like, well, I just don't really like the values in that show. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't like them either. Yeah, I don't know. I hate that show. He was like, I don't watch the Bundys because I don't want to become like the Bundys because I believe that you become what you behold. And I was like, what's that now? I'd never heard that before. And I thought he was crazy back then, but I've never forgotten that he said that ever my whole life. And now that I am an adult and I have kids of my own, I think about it a lot because my kids have access to media and content that I never, ever had access to. And I think about it all the time. Do we become what we behold? Let's see what Jesus said. Let's go to Luke 11. It's always good to see what Jesus said about something, right? In verse 34, he said, Luke 11, verse 34, he said, your eye is the lamp of your body. Uh Uh-oh. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Uh Uh-oh. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you actually be full of darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark. Somebody say, no part dark. It will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Now, I'm not knocking on any television show today. I'm trying to put a question before us today. Do we become what we behold? And does it matter what we behold? You see, in this scripture, Jesus is presenting us with a biblical principle that we can either be full of light or full of darkness, and it in some way correlates with our eyes. That our eyes are in some way a gate to the garden soil of our heart. Amen. And that what we let in to our eye gates and our ear gates can take root in our heart and produce a harvest. If you don't believe me, I'll tell you what. That scary movie that I watched 10 years ago and I thought was just the stupidest thing that I ever saw and it was no big deal for me to watch. It will suddenly bear fruit in my life at 3 a.m. when I get up in the middle of the night to get a drink of water. It suddenly bears fruit. (laughs) I didn't know it was growing, but it suddenly grew fruit in my life. And whatever is put into our heart is amplified. It's magnified. You can think of it like this. Like if I plant an apple seed, that apple seed is magnified, right? Like that apple seed grows into an apple tree, which produces hundreds of apples and thousands of apple seeds. Right? It's magnified. What we look at, what we behold, what we focus our attention on is magnified. Now, this is a part of the sermon where I'm supposed to talk to you about how we're the most depressed generation that ever existed and how we spend three to five hours a day looking at our phones that we're actually made for connection and that our teens are spending eight hours a day on average looking at their phones an entire third of their life. I'm supposed to talk to you about how our media has ever since 1994 when O.J. Simpson drove his white Bronco across all 13 inches of my little bitty television set that we've been on a 24 
24-hour news cycle and that it has totally changed our media. It has totally changed the way that news, news stations tell the story, that it's not any more about what's valid, but it's more so about like a journalism of assertion where you put a claim out as quickly as possible, even if it's wildly false and that they know that they need your viewership because they're competing with other stations, and so they know that fear is one of the biggest motivators, so we're beholding fear and, and sensationalism all day long, and that's affecting us, and how 284 million people a year are diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. And this is a part of the message where I'm supposed to tell you that we are looking at pornography like never before, that... Porn sites, online porn sites, generate more monthly traffic than Netflix, Twitter, and Amazon combined. It's a $97 billion a year business. 56% of divorces involve one member having an excessive interest in it. 64% of Christian, Christian men and 15% of Christian women say that they struggle with it. That's how many say that they struggle with it. That's how many are going to report it and admit it. 57% of teens are seeking it out on a monthly basis. Not my teen. Well, the average age of exposure is 11 if you have an 8, 9, 10-year-old child, will you please talk to them about it? You can talk to them about it in a really holy, godly way. Don't wait. Talk to them today. Because there's something called the rule of first exposure. And if you talk to them first, then everything else that they see and learn and hear about it is going to be filtered through what you said. And you don't want it to be the other way around. Don't wait. If there's an issue in the world that you're concerned about, talk to your kids now about it. This is the worst part in my book. 88% um, of scenes, 88% of scenes involve physical aggression towards women, 49% verbal aggression. What are we beholding and what are we becoming? If I behold violence, do I become violent? If I behold lust, do I become lustful? Have we seen an uptick in that kind of stuff in our culture lately? Does it matter what we behold? If I behold the objectification of women, men, and children who are made in the image of God, does it affect if I see them in their humanity? Does it affect, if I, affect me to dehumanize them? Have we seen an uptick in people having less humanity for each other? What are we beholding? What are we becoming? Now listen, uh, none of that may apply to you, and that's great. You may be really, really disciplined with what comes into your eye gates. Maybe you don't have a problem with your phone or pornography or anything like that, and that's awesome. You know, you can watch the news and sift through it and know what's true and accurate and where to, you know, what to believe. That's great. But what are you beholding today? What is taking your focus I want you to think of it like looking through a microscope or a telescope or the scope on a gun. And there's one thing in that field of vision that you want to bring out, right? 
When you look through a scope on a gun, you want to bring that deer out into focus, right? That's your one thing. And so what do you do? You start turning knobs, right? You start making adjustments on your focus to focus on that one thing, to bring it out, to magnify it. And when you magnify it, everything else behind it becomes blurry, right? Are you tracking with me? Yeah. I can't focus on the woods if I want to magnify the deer. If I focus on the woods, the deer is going to become blurry, okay? It matters what our one thing is. It matters where our focus is. Are we focusing on all the problems in the world? Are we focusing on all of our issues and our problems and our hardships? Are we making Jesus our one thing? It matters what we focus on because you become what you behold. It really affects you where you focus your gaze. And I want to tell you about a season where I lost focus on Jesus. I started looking at all of my problems. I could not take my eyes off my problems. I couldn't see Jesus. And so this is a testimony, and it's not a woe is me testimony. I'm going to tell you all the ugly, dirty stuff. But the point of this is to say, look what Jesus did. Look what Jesus did. And I'm also going to expose everything that the enemy did. Because I just want to get real today. I just want to show you what the enemy did to me. Because he might be doing it to you. He's not very creative. What he does to one person, he will do to another. He just, he just only has so many tricks in his bag of tricks. Okay, so let's expose him. Let's just pull the veil back on what he does. And let's watch what Jesus did. So about 10 months ago, I was doing all right, but I was starting to have trouble with my foot, my right foot. I was starting to have pain in my heel, and it was really bad. And I'd talk to people about it. You know how you talk to people about your problems? And, and people would be like, that's just plantar fasciitis. I had that. My brother had that. My cousin had that. My neighbor had that. My dog had that. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. And if you're not all right, then just go to the doctor, and they'll, they'll put a shot in your foot, a cortisone shot. I was like, okay, so I'm going to go to the doctor because it's not getting better. So I go to the doctor. I get a shot in my foot. And it doesn't get any better. So I go back to the doctor and I get another shot in my foot and it doesn't get any better. And I go back to the doctor and I get another shot in my foot and it doesn't get any better. And I just keep going back and getting shot after shot after shot. And it's never getting better. It's getting worse. To the point where I could not walk on it. I could not bear the pain. And I got to the point where I couldn't fix dinner for my family. And I couldn't grocery shop. Praise the Lord for pickup. Amen. I couldn't grocery shop, and I couldn't work, and I couldn't do housework, and I couldn't um, exercise, and I sat on my couch for months, and how many knows that that gets real old, and it gets real, you start to feel real isolated, and you start to get real depressed, and I was really depressed that I couldn't do the things that I felt like I needed to do for my family, and the enemy came with accusations. And I couldn't exercise, so I gained 30 pounds, and I was down on myself about that. And the enemy came hard in this season and started telling me, you're never going to get any better, and you're worthless for your family right now. Like, you're not contributing anything to your family right now. And the worst part about it for me was that I couldn't hold my baby. I had a little baby at the time, and I couldn't hold her. And you know how babies go through this stage where they want you to hold them but they do not want you to sit down 
yeah. And so she was, in, she was deep into that stage. And so like I could hold her and walk with her for a little while, for a few minutes. But then I'd have to set her down. And how many knows that was hard on both of us? Or I'd have to hand her off to somebody. And that was real hard. You know, and I couldn't get up in the middle of the night and do the soothing thing when they get up in the middle of the night. You know, I couldn't do that. I mean, I could, but I, I could only last for so long, you know. And I uh, started to get really down on myself about that. And then my baby moved into the toddler phase where, you know how toddlers do this thing where they pick a person? It's totally developmental. It's totally normal. But they pick a person, and that's their person for a while, for a season, until they get to the next developmental stage. And usually it's mama. And my experience had been mama, right, <laughs> with my other baby. And she didn't pick mama. She picked dad. She wanted dad because dad was filling in and doing the heavy lifting for me. Praise God for my husband, Blake. He's awesome. But it really tore me up. It worked on my heart hard. <laughs> You know, because she started rejecting me, you know, and it's just a thing that toddlers do. It's just what they do. It, but like I couldn't soothe her. I couldn't kiss her. I couldn't do anything without her crying. I couldn't hold her without her crying. She wanted dad. You know, she'd get up in the middle of the night, da, 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 da. And um, like I said, it's totally normal, but um, I just couldn't handle it. It like tore me to pieces because the enemy came super hard at me about it. He started saying, man, you are a bad mom. Yeah. You know what? I'm convinced that there's this demon called mom guilt. Now, don't quote me on that because that's bad theology, but you know what is good theology? The enemy comes after your identity. He does that. It doesn't matter if you're mom or dad. It doesn't matter if you're not a parent. He will come after your identity every time. He did it to Jesus. He will do it to you. He came to Jesus and he said, if you're the son of God, then make these stones into bread. And he came at me and he started tearing me down. And if you are a mom, you know that the mom guilt demon's real. It's that demon that's like, you know, your kid's acting up. You're a bad mom. Your kid didn't hit their milestones. You're a bad mom. Your kid has fill in the blank, whatever situation going on. It's because you're a bad mom. It's your fault. You know, you get, oh, you got your kids McDonald's for dinner. Don't you care about their health? You're a bad mom. <laughs> Ladies, am I, am I for real? Am I telling the truth? Your grown kids don't call you. It's your fault. You're a bad mom. The devil is a liar. He is a liar. And I started getting real down about that and believing that. I started going, yeah, I think I am a bad mom, and I think I am pretty worthless. I started agreeing. Once you start agreeing with the lies that the enemy brings, it's going to open up a world of hurt. And that's what happened. And then about this time, I started I start having some other health issues. I um, started bleeding, and I didn't know why I was bleeding, and I bled for weeks and months at a time, and we couldn't get a handle on that. And then um, they found two tumors on my uterus. And it was like, okay, we're not sure about these. Like, we're going to have to do a biopsy, blah, blah, blah. And so that was a scare that came in. And so, man, 
just sitting on the couch thinking about all these things, they'd come crashing in. And it was like I was looking all around in my field of vision and all I could see, all that was magnified was my problems. And I could not see Jesus because I couldn't see a solution to any of the problems that I had, okay? And I started to have panic attacks. And I have never had panic attacks. I didn't even... Like when someone would say they had panic attacks, I didn't get it. I had never experienced the crippling effect of that. And it was like, I, it, you know, you think it's like you hyperventilate and all this stuff. It wasn't like that. It was like I would just get overwhelmed by the weight of my problems and there's no solution. And your brain is hardwired to always find a solution. So when you can't find a solution to something, your brain will not shut off and it keeps you awake at night. Come on, am I telling the truth? Yeah. And so like... I would get panicked because I couldn't find a solution. And I was believing what the enemy said about me. And my panic attack looked like this. I just want to get in my car and drive away. I don't know where. I just want to get away. It's the flight part of fight or flight. Okay, that's what the enemy does. He tells you, you need to run. And uh, like I said, I didn't know where I was going to go, but I just had to get away. And... um, I, the enemy would come to me and he would say, I know a way out. You're not going to find one any other way, but I know a way. Why don't you just end things? Because your family doesn't need you. Look, Blake's doing everything. He's Mr. Mom right now. And your baby doesn't love you. And you're in pain 24-7. I got a way out. Why don't you just end things? And I started to think about it. And I started, at that time, Blake already knew, but I started saying, I need help. And he was like, yeah, let's get help. But this is what the enemy does. As soon as you get brave enough to go get help, you know what he does? He brings the shame hard. And he was like, don't tell anybody. If you tell somebody, A, they're going to judge you and think that you are a bad mom. And B, they're going to think that your problem is stupid. And look at everybody else's problems. They're way worse than yours. Look at you. you got some foot pain and you think it's a reason to end things. He was the one who told me to do it in the first place. He makes no sense. You know what he says to you? He says, your problem's too small for anybody to care, but it's way too big for you to get a handle on. He lies. But you know what? The Lord says, he says, your problem's not too small for me to care and it's not too big for me to provide a way out. And so I didn't tell anybody because I wasn't looking at Jesus. Jesus, I lost sight of him. And I had stood on this stage eight months from about now and I had said, I was preaching a sermon about surrender and I had said, if any area of your life you feel hopelessness, it's because you've not surrendered it to Jesus. It's because you're trying to control it and you're expecting a certain outcome and when you don't get the outcome, you become hopeless and you need to surrender it to Jesus. I was smart eight months ago. (laughs) But I forgot about it and praise the Lord, Sue Dismang texted me and uh, she sent me this video about Deborah. Now, Deborah, in the Bible, she's got this whole shtick about how she arose a mother in Israel. And I've preached messages about Deborah. I know her story. And uh, I said, Sue, I don't know how to arise as a mother right now. 
I don't know how to arise as a mother. And I didn't want to tell her my problem because I thought it was dumb. But you know what? The enemy doesn't care how your problem stacks up against somebody else's problem. He, he tells you that it matters, but he doesn't care. He will use whatever you got. Okay? So can we just stop comparing how big our problem is compared to someone else's? The Lord cares about every problem. Okay? And... Uh, I said, Sue, I don't know how to arise as a mother. And I started spilling my guts to her. And this is what Sue did. She didn't minimize my my issues. She didn't try to just unfocus the issues. She began to focus and turn up the focus on Jesus. She began to magnify Jesus. She began to magnify the name of Jesus. She began to help me move my gaze onto him and off of all of my issues. And she said, promise, you need to pray the word. I know all this. I know it. I've done deliverance ministry. I know these things. Nobody is exempt from the lies of the enemy. All right? I don't care how much you know about the Lord. He will come against you at some point. But you don't have to listen to him. I did listen to him. And and she said, promise, what, what scriptures are you praying? And I was like, I'm not. I'm just going to be real. I'm not. And uh, she's like, you need to start praying some scripture over yourself. And so what I did was I began to pray Proverbs 31 over myself in first person. I was like, who can find a virtuous woman like me? I am worth more than rubies. (laughs) Oh, that's arrogant. No, it's not. It's our identity. It is the new creation identity. It's the identity that I'm supposed to be becoming because Jesus died on the cross for me to become it. And I'd read that whole whole chapter over myself, and especially in the Passion Translation, it's so good, but I put it in first person, and I'd get to verse 28, and I'd say, all my sons and daughters arise and call me blessed. They arise in one accord and extol my virtues. And when the lies of the enemy would come, I'd say, the enemy is lying. I'm a great mom, and my baby loves me, and I break every evil assignment against my family in the name of Jesus. I prayed it a hundred times a day, church. A hundred times until I believed it. And for my physical ailments, I prayed Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8. And I put it in first person and I said, I trust in the Lord with all my heart. And I don't lean on my own understanding. In other words, I don't look at all my problems and try to understand things. I look to Jesus. In all my ways, I acknowledge him and he makes my path straight. I'm not wise in my own eyes. I don't trust what I'm seeing. I trust your word. I fear the Lord and I turn away from evil. I turn my eyes upon Jesus because it's healing to my flesh and refreshment to my bones. And then one day I was here at the church and um, I was just here for something. And I was talking to Mona DeVu and she said, why don't you come in my office? Because she could tell that by my countenance that I wasn't okay. And I didn't want to talk about it, but I spilled my guts to her too. And she did the same thing. She didn't minimize my problems. She didn't try to turn down the focus on them. She turned up the focus on Jesus. And she helped direct my eyes to Jesus. And what she did was she shared uh, some of her own personal testimony with me. And listen, it was not a one for one with what I was going through. What I'm going through today and what you're going through today, it's not a one for one. But like I said, the enemy is not creative. He's probably lying to you about some things too. 
And the Lord is your salvation today. Amen. He is your strength and your shield today, just like he was mine. And then about this time was when Pastor Dawn shared her prophetic word about how she one day just didn't feel like getting out of bed. It was like this nihilistic thing had come on her. And like, that's what I felt, like nothing mattered. Like it didn't matter if I got out of bed or not. It didn't matter because I wasn't contributing anything. And how in this prophetic vision, she saw hands raised, pushing back the darkness. And I called her and I said, Dawn, you don't understand what I've been going through. You don't understand what a word in due season that was for me. And I am so grateful for the gift of the prophetic in operation in our body. And I'm so grateful for anyone who is brave enough to get up and share the word of the Lord when it is burning on your heart. Because it gave me hope. It gave me hope. All of these women did what? They turned my face to Jesus. They said, like the psalmist did in Psalm 34, verse 3, magnify the Lord with me. Come on, I'm saying it to you today. Let's magnify the Lord together. Let's make him bigger. Let's focus on him. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him, we've heard this scripture today in worship. Those who look to him are radiant. You want to reap a harvest of radiance and joy and peace and patience and long suffering and gentleness and kindness and goodness and self-control in your life. You have to look at Jesus. Looking at your issues and your problems and magnifying them is getting you nowhere. You have to magnify Jesus. And their faces shall never be ashamed. So instead of magnifying my problems, i got to magnify the presence of the Lord and what he's done for me. Instead of magnifying what the enemy's doing, I need to magnify what the Lord is doing. i got to lift his name above every name. His name is higher than depression. His name is higher than anxiety. His name is higher than fear. His name is higher than my pain. His name is higher than every disease, every label that's been put on you or you've had put on yourself. The name of Jesus is higher. And it does not mean that I am ignoring reality. It means that I'm giving Jesus the proper place in relation to those things. He is bigger. Come on. The proper glory that he deserves. I magnify him. I make him bigger in my eyes. I recognize him as the true size that he is. The infinite God. The creator of the universe. The alpha, the omega, the uncreated one. The everlasting father, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. I do what the psalmist said in Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Why do I do that? Because my eyes are down here in the darkness looking around, looking for the light. No, I got to look to Jesus. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. If he's the maker of heaven and earth, come on, don't you think he's big enough? today come on give him praise he is big enough today and as I began to magnify the Lord over my issues things started to shift you know what started to shift first me my perspective I started I started to realize that Jesus did not die, defeat death, sin, and hell for me to wallow around on this couch as a victim of circumstance. He died to give me life and life abundant. And it was really cool because the Lord gave me the coolest dream. I dreamed that Dwayne the Rock Johnson was sleeping on my couch. 
and I had to go wake him up. <laughs> and so I go and I, I wake him up, and he stands up, and uh, he towers over me, you know. And for some reason, I have no idea. You know how you don't know why you do something in a dream? I started punching him. And I'm punching Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And you know, me punching Dwayne The Rock Johnson is like a gnat trying to fight a bear. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm punching him. And he's going, he's just going like this, you know, because I'm not making a dent, you know. And he's, he's like sparring with me. And he's going, yeah, come on, hit me again, yeah. Come on, you got good form. Yeah, that was a good punch. Go ahead, go ahead. Come on, look at you. You're a fighter. Come on. And I start laughing. And he starts laughing. And the Holy Spirit said to me in the dream, he said, it's time to wake up the sleeping giant. And the next morning, the Lord took me to Psalm 144. This is what it says in verse 1. It says, blessed be the Lord, my rock. Who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) But I began to battle with the word. And I began to pray the word over myself. And I began to look in his words. You know why? Because if you want to behold Jesus, this is where he's at. This is where he's at. Jesus is the Logos. Jesus is the Word made flesh. He's in every line of this Bible. He's in every chapter from Genesis to Exodus. If you want to find him, you want to see him, you want to see him clearly, this is where you do it. It's not just from listening to a sermon or worshiping or anything like that. You do see him clearly, more clearly from stuff like that. But we need to look at his Word. I don't know what you need him to be for you in this season, but he's in here. Whatever you need, he's in here. In Genesis, he's the breath of life. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's Moses' voice. Come on, in Joshua, he's salvation's choice. Come on. In Judges, he's lawgiver. In Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. What do you need today? You need peace? He's the prince of peace in Isaiah. You need healing? You'll find him in James. You need wisdom? He's in Proverbs. You need to know the meaning of life? He'll meet you in Ecclesiastes. Come on, what do you need today? He's in here. This is how we behold him. This is how we fight. My relationship with my daughter started to improve. Main thing, I started ta- stopped taking it so personal. You know, I stopped listening to the enemy's lies. Yeah, we got an awesome relationship. I stopped having anxiety and panic attacks because God's not given me a spirit of fear. He's not given you a spirit of fear. If you have anxiety today, you don't have to put up with that. He's giving you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Somebody say sound mind. They found out what was wrong with my foot. It was not plantar fasciitis. It was something completely different. It had to be treated different. And it started to improve, and now it's probably about 90%. I got my biopsy back. I do not have cancer, praise the Lord. 
and I miraculously stopped bleeding. Come on. Give me a praise. What we behold matters. What we magnify matters. You do become what you behold. If you're a parent, you, you probably already know that. You know, it's real cute when you see your kid acting like you or talking like you or saying or doing something just like you until it's not cute. <laughs> until it's pretty embarrassing. I don't know how many times over the past two years I've heard my politics come out of my five-year-old daughter's mouth. <laughs> Shh, baby. <laughs> don't say that now. Because do as I say and not as I do, it doesn't work. <laughs> Unless what you do and what you say is the same thing, amen? Children don't become what you tell them to become. They become what they behold. Children become what they behold. And we're his kids. And we're meant to behold him. And we're meant to become like him. You were created to look into the fiery eyes of the one who died for you. If you don't get anything today, I want you to get this scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into his same image. The more we behold him, the more we become like him. And that's the goal, is to become like him. I can't do it any other way. I can't do it by trying. I can't do it by being good. I can't do it by quitting this, that, and the other. I can't do it in my own strength. I have to behold him. I have to magnify him. I have to take my field of vision and I have to tune it and focus it so that my eyes are on Jesus and not anything of lesser value. Now, a religious spirit says, you can't be like Jesus. I know that's a lie. You know why? Because the body has to match the head. When he created us, in Genesis it says, let us create man in our image and our likeness. We were meant to reflect him, and when sin came in, we stopped reflecting him. But then when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he made a way for us to become his sons and daughters again, for us to become like him again, to become new creations again. Isn't that beautiful? And now if I'm not reflecting him, I'm reflecting something, and if I'm not beholding him, I'm reflecting whatever I am beholding. It takes root in my heart and it produces a harvest at some point. Do not think, church, that it doesn't affect you. It affects you. What you behold, you become. Jesus. You know, I always wondered about how in Revelation there's all these saints and angels and the four living creatures around his throne and they just behold him day and night. And they're full of eyes, the Bible says all over. I always wonder why they're full of eyes. Because they were created to behold the beauty of Jesus. And all throughout eternity, they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Do you ever wonder how they have the endurance to do that? 
all throughout eternity, the same thing over and over and over. It's not because God is making them do that. It's because every new second, they're seeing a new side of his glory, a new side of his beauty. He, his beauty is inexhaustible. And he'll just turn a fraction of an inch and they'll be like, wow, we've never seen that side of your beauty before. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty because in fear and awe, you gotta respond. And then he'll turn a fraction of an inch and they'll be like, wow, we've never seen that side of your beauty before. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.